Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode seven, where we revisit and rank Diamonds Are Forever. Now that plenty has been successfully thrown out the window, Bond finds Tiffany in his room where they discuss what to do with the diamonds. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Diamonds Are Forever to our rankings. And Bond finds Tiffany in his room. Yeah, and what they talk about, I, th- I guess. Well, the idea is that is that Tiffany now wants to know where the real uh, diamonds are, and kind of starts to trick Bond into saying, "Oh, you know, let's 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 break the chain. Let's just sort of run away and and steal the diamonds and, and do our own thing." And I guess Bond is is playing along with that. As now, here's my question: She still thinks he's Peter at this point, doesn't she? Yeah, or she doesn't let on otherwise. Right, okay. Because it just kind of feels like they're both double-crossing each other, which they are. So, yeah, she says, let's let's go get the real diamonds and then we can go away and start our own life. And I think that's just like, that's it. That's the plan, right? Yeah, so also I just, on the show, well, first of all, the plenty being in front of the window is hilarious. I mean, she is a comedy character through and through. I knew where I stood with plenty. I can tell you that much. Uh, but I took the Blue Brothers walking out of the room awkwardly, as in Tiffany is still in that organization working with them. Mm. So oh, yeah. she's saying, just get the woman, get plenty out of the room, throw out the window, I don't care. And then I'll get the diamonds of Bond, which is why that happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at this point is when I actually wrote the story is really boring because when they were talking in bed about the diamonds and oh they're double crossing each other and stuff you know similar to the Doctor No scene that we had but this is when it really hit home that I don't care at all about what they're talking about Um, I can't remember anything (laughs) they said so kind of maybe the same yeah so again the the agreement is that we're going to run away together and she's talking about splitting the diamonds and stuff and let's leave tonight and then oh god yeah bond like bond's like you all get the i'll get the diamonds and she's like no i'll get the diamonds and uh, eventually this asks to basically they bond agrees that tiffany can go and get the real diamonds and ask where the diamonds are and bond's like yeah at the circus of course uh, I swore quite a few times in my notes, uh, which I'm not repeating. And this was one of them. <laughs> because it's like, yeah, it, they're at the circus. So we just cut to a bloody circus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's called Circus Circus. There's extra the circus. Circus Circus, the circus. You know, people aren't happy with one circus. They need two circuses. But it's like... I know this is a campy film and has this tone... It just feels like, oh my god, they actually just cut to a circus going on. And maybe it's because I'm not that fussed about Vegas, you know, because, you know, circus in Vegas, that's not crazy. He's in Vegas, it does somewhat kind of make sense, but, like, it still felt very, very odd. Of, like, oh no, okay, we're actually at a circus, and here's people doing tricks, and here's a a big crowd of everyone enjoying a circus. It's like, why am I watching a circus? (laughs) I don't want to see this. Like, there's... Because isn't it like this, there's like a trapeze thing going on above all the people gambling? Yeah. Isn't that great? You know, you can play crazy. slots and then look up and there's someone swinging around on tightrope and all this sort of stuff. I want to go there. It's just a circus. <laughs> and I was guessing, by the way this plays out, that Bond 
because there's no agreement to where the real diamonds are going to be. Felix is meant to be sorting that out, but he basically improvises it. He's like, yes, I hit them in the circus. So then he has to like call <laughs> Felix up and say, guys, I've messed up. Okay. I told Tiffany they were in the circus. Can we do, can we do this? Can we set this up? Which Felix is like, yeah, we can. And, and that's what happens. Yeah, let's set up the most complex and just most stupid way to give her the diamonds using like messages on cards and water balloon games. That's the way to do it. Oh, yes. That will cover our tracks nicely. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't just have a US agent go up to her and say, here's the diamonds and then walk off. Like, No, no. Has to be in, in, in uh, all the different games and stuff. So yeah, uh, we do cut to Circus Circus. I wrote down in my notes here, the only thing I wrote down is elephant real? Because there is, as you mentioned earlier, there is a scene where an elephant gambles <laughs> oh, <God laughs> on, a, on, a, on a slot machine and hey, it, it comes up with the, the three elephants and, and the elephant wins. And the elephant's like, yay. Well, at first I was like, that's not a real elephant. And then I looked at its eyes and I was like, that's a real elephant. Yeah, yeah, and then they it, don't and do then fake it, animals in the Bond series, not yet. Not in the 70s anyway, and then, then it made me sad. So... That's that's a that's um you know if I'm giving this film marks for everything like Mr. Wimp, Mr. Kid, loads of marks. Tick 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 tick. Real elephants? Mm, no, I take a few off for that. Don't like that. Well, you didn't know that it was actually just Sean Connery with a trunk. <laughs> you look close enough. <laughs> oh my god! You, you better be glad he's dead, or else he'll be after you. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make it better, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. So there's an elephant gambling and. Um, this is this is where you get. Uh... You just got a cash. Yeah. So just yeah, it's that. James Bond. There's an elephant gambling. Yada yada yada. You know, you know the setup. We've all been here before. Um. <laughs> so this whole scene, as you said, like Felix has set up this this handover of the diamonds in Circus Circus, and it's it's in the most convoluted way possible. Like she's going up to uh, blackjack tables or, or whatever it is, and getting messages on cards to then go to the balloon game and then at the balloon game she wins this and, and wins a big cuddly toy um, to the annoyance of this little annoying kid next to her and the, the cuddly toy is the thing that ultimately has these diamonds in it. Um, Then, oh yeah, this is the bit I did not really like. Then she goes to this, like... I guess it's like an act that they have have there with like a gorilla woman. And it's just like, oh, no, no, yeah, no, no. It's no, like no. a kid's show, right? Of like, come and see the marvelous woman who turns into a gorilla. And then it's just a load of like racism. White kid, yeah. White kids looking at a black woman in a cage who then transforms into a gorilla. Um, so... Which, the less said the better yes so <laughs> it, it's it's terrible it is terrible that that was like i was like oof, that i do not i did not remember that at all in this film and i'm kind of pleased i didn't um so anyway long story short because of this little uh act tiffany escapes through the back exit where they had not planned for her to be so they lose her even though yeah so because she does get the diamonds yeah, she does legitimately get given the diamonds, but the plan is to follow her to where she's going because they don't expect her to actually go and meet up with Bond. 
Mm-hmm. But Bond, while this is happening, says, I'm going to go and get a car, go to the meetup point to see if she shows up. But Felix is like, that's not going to happen. So the whole point was that they were going to tell her to, you know, keep an eye on the diamonds. But that doesn't happen because racism, sadly, uh, got on the way and she, she escapes. Yeah. So off she goes. And as you say, Bond is not surprised that she ran off and, and double crossed him. But... um it all kind of works out in the end, though, because, well, I don't really know. I don't really know how Bond knows where she is. No in idea. In the next scene, but he he no, eventually no idea. He eventually just goes to her house, um, where she's kind of sun sun bathing. Although, then, how does she not notice a dead body in the pool? That that's what breaks this, right? I don't know what location that's meant to be, but there's a dead woman in the pool. And initially it didn't click click to me, but uh, yeah, I, I had to read this afterwards, admittedly, that yeah, there's a Tiffany's by the pool, sunbathing, Bond shows up, it's like, there's a dead woman there, and she's like, goodness. And it turns out the dead woman is plenty O'Toole. Mm. Um, but, and then Bond is like, oh, that was supposed to be you. Um, you know, people are all being killed here. But I just don't get it. I'm assuming that Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid killed her, and as part of their weirdness and the weird game, put her in Tiffany's pool just to mess with her. So, I said I wasn't going to talk about any more deleted scenes, but this is the one I actually did want to talk to, talk about, because this one, it's bizarre that they cut this scene out because it, it's led to this exact confusion. It is so, I wouldn't say it's intrinsic to the plot, but it, it well, no, it is because they cut out a scene where whilst Bond and Tiffany are in the casino bedroom, schmoozing up together, Plenty, who has now come out of the pool she was chucked into, <laughs> sneak, uh, comes back up to the room, sneaks in, spots Bond and Tiffany together, and is angry, obviously, uh, and then looks in Tiffany's bag for like uh, her business card, where her address is. And so the implication is that she then goes to see Tiffany... Oh. And whilst there, Wint and Kid mistake her for Tiffany and kill her instead. Oh, okay. I so, mean, that still does that makes more sense, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we know Mr. Kid and Mr. Wit already saw what Tiffany looks like. That's true. <laughs> On the plane. That is true. But it does explain why she was there. Yeah, least. that makes more sense. Yeah, of how she got there, at least. So maybe, yeah, maybe they didn't know that was Tiffany, but they still wanted to kill her as a sign, you know. Um, but then, yeah, what... You can tell how much I was just sort of watching the film and just letting it letting it go past me because as I'm explaining some of the stuff, I'm trying to work it out as I'm saying it. Why did she not see the dead body in her own pool while she's sunbathing I mean, this, next to This it? comes back to she's an idiot, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they yeah. set that up for the rest of the film. She's just a complete idiot. And I guess this is... We, well, we already know this a little bit. We, we're starting to get those hints and this is, I guess, one of them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, she is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Oh, that must be it. That must be it. So Bond comes there and, and does point out that there is a dead body that should have been you, and that sort of scares her back into now working alongside Bond and the CIA and, and off of the the actual diamond smuggling trail. So, I mean, it, that's the actual reason for the scene, but it's very, very poorly done. So, yeah, it all comes out in the wash that Bond is there, like, I need to know your connection to all of this and who this is which I, I can't remember if she actually says or not. It's all very confusing. Uh, but it's, yeah, again, she knows that she's uh, he's not Peter Frank. So that's 
the end of the Peter Franks kind of saga. He was pretending to be him for quite a while, but that's now formally dropped, and now it's about because Tiffany is so like saving her own skin, she doesn't really have loyalties in this film. She then kind of just switches over to to help uh, yeah. Bond out instead. Uh, so eventually this cuts to, because she does have the diamonds, she is sending the diamonds away uh, at an airport. So we cut to an airport and we want to bond watching the luggage and the dog with the diamonds inside get taken away. The luggage go into a van and we have them in a red car following that van because I guess she's already done the drop off and now it's about let's actually just see where the where it goes. And then I have to try and confuse, remember how this plays out because I think at this point is where we first hear about Willem White. Willem White? Uh, uh, Willard White. Willard White. Yeah, Willard White, sorry. Uh, basically, it's someone who runs the White House, which was very confusing to me because the whole point is that it's the White House, W-H-Y-T-E, mm-hmm. which is the same as, uh, you know, this guy's last name, not the actual White House. <laughs> <laughs> which but i didn't pick up on that until later in the film and it was super confusing to be like oh yeah the white house he never leaves or like all right is he president what's because they say he's like president of the company as well i'm like why is i oh, wow. i really got completely lost when they explained this here that would be something if it, you know actually getting the president of america involved in a bond film like that yeah i just because it's a pretty important detail about this white guy mr white uh, but they just kind of casually mention it. And I think it's meant to be part of her contacts and her letting it down and Saxby and stuff like that because she was involved with them. But uh, yeah, they're following this van and the van pulls up to a petrol station and we get... Uh, I mean, you must have loved this scene, right? Because <laughs> it's oh. nothing but absolutely dreadful acting the whole time. <laughs> what, where she's blocking the car and moaning yeah. to the guy? yeah. Yeah, she's uh, yeah. Oh, n- not as much because it wasn't Mister Winter, Mister Kid, and she is a bit more annoying. But it's still it's it's, it's cheese, so it's fine. So yeah, uh, they're following. I think the driver switches at some point, and it's like a different person now. Um, and they're in the like a yeah a petrol station about to leave. So Tiffany drives in front to block them off giving Bond a chance to sneak into the back of this van and she's just there stalling and moaning at the attendant and go get some gas and being being a bit of a Karen, right? So I, I didn't... No, I, I didn't mind it, but it, you're right, it is terrible acting. I don't think the, the the lady who played Tiffany Case was good at all, really. Oh, well, I don't think the... I didn't dislike this scene, by the way, because it was so deliberately awful where it's not just her acting, which is overall quite bad. It's like... Because it's supposed to be her causing a commotion at this petrol station, we have like different characters. We have like two people behind her, then the the gas attendant who's meant to be pumping gas, which is always weird to see in American films, someone who pumps gas. I'm like, okay, that's lazy. Uh, but like everyone's just talking in that same dreadful acting voice that you always get when <laughs> someone's a bad actor. Like, hey, I'm trying to get gas here. Oh, move or lose it, Buster. Okay, lady, you win. I'll get you your gas. It's just like, forget it, Curly. You had your chance and you blew it. It's like, oh, lady, what are you doing? Like, I don't want no trouble. talks in the same, <laughs> like, that same voice. Yeah, that is true. Maybe that's just how Las Vegas was in 1971. It's a different time. I mean, you weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> it's true. 
I was. I remember. I remember it fondly. Yeah, you were that kid moaning about the toy. Earlier. I really wanted that bear with the diamonds in. It's 25 wins for the dog. Everyone knows that. Sorry, was it a dog? It was a dog. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, I liked it because it's it's dumb. And I this word for me because it's like, yeah, this is... Surely this isn't meant to be taken seriously. This is supposed to be a comedic, silly scene of her being silly and everyone else reacting to it. So this one did make me laugh a bit because everyone's acting is so one note and terrible. That it's like, yeah, this okay, I can get into this. This this did make me laugh. Good, good. Yes, no, that's what no, I'd like to hear. We're not doing an Emperor Palpatine <laughs> sort of thing. No. Let, let the camp th- flow through you. <laughs> Somehow the camp returned. <laughs> Uh, so in the back of the van, Bond is there uh, watching where he's being driven to. And it ends up being, uh, I wrote this down, it was called like W Tektronics. So it's sort of offshoot of the, the white enterprise, I guess. And it just looks like some sort of science laboratory, factory, something like that. Um, but the the person goes in and gets a lift down to like some sort of basement parking and... and uh, goes into some laboratory with a key card. So Bond is there trying to work out how to get in. And this is where you get some classic... This is like... So it's proper... Um, I can't think of the right word for it, but just just pure... I really can't think of the right word for it. Impersonation. And it's just... It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really work in this sense, but it also does because it is so bad. But... Bond is just um, waiting, I guess, coming up with a plan. And as he's doing that, uh, another security science-looking man with a white lab coat comes along and is just about to um, buzz himself in with the card. And that's where Bond sort of takes his chance to step in and be like, oh, hi, um, are you new here sort of thing? And that that cliche of, of trying to blend in is like, oh, yeah, I'm from... I'm from Section G. Uh, who are you? And oh, I've just started and all this sort of stuff. And it's like it's so, it's so. You just see this everywhere, right? I guess maybe in 1971 it wasn't as much so, but I kind of liked it. I I kind of liked it. So yeah, Bond fakes being a worker at this at the secret lab and and goes in with this other other guy, and they have this very pleasant conversation to each other about oh, where do you work? Or how's work going? Oh, you know, just doing some radiation scanning and. Hey, where's your radiation thing? Oh, I lost it. Oh, here's one. I bring a spare. It's also very pleasant between the two of them. I don't know. I really liked it. I mean, it's the best chemistry between two characters in the whole film. It really is. <laughs> like it just generally just seems like two people at work having a chat. I, I can yeah, that's right. Maybe that's why I liked it so much is because it's so relatable. This is what you have. These sort of little chats is what you have going down the corridor or an office or something like that. Yeah, and you know, it's Sean also just having fun that line right him faking being someone and just having that chat with them it's yeah it's another one of those we get a lot of these i didn't really think about it while watching the film but yeah doing this podcast you get a lot of these and they're actually all quite fun and great yeah and this goes to bond yeah he he gets in and the guy basically tells him all the information about himself like i do this this is what i do and so bond's like okay i can use that he goes and put on a lab coat. By the way, actually, I should say Bond is in like a full grey suit, which is mm. a great suit, but it's so obviously not <laughs> someone who should be in a science lab. No, it would have been good if he maybe closed the lab coat at least so you can't see the suit. It would have yeah, been a bit better. He's so obviously in this suit. 
but then yeah when he goes when he's talking to the guy anyway he's just in the suit and then the guy helps him out and then he gets a little lab coat and using that he puts on the coat and ab uh, enters the main part of the the lab where is it baxby that's in there uh um, a different character he's the oh, i didn't write down his name is the professor basically working on what turns out to be the, the evil plan but okay i think yeah just some generic professor guy yeah, I got these two confused at some point, I'll be honest. Because yeah. these are two separate characters, but I just see them as old man who's helping out Blofeld who like stands and talks to him sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, like Blofeld's right hand man sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so this is a professor and Bond <laughs> pretends to be the man from before saying I'm just checking the shields and stuff and this guy gets really annoyed. Like <laughs> really like, quickly. Yeah, he's just like, get out, go away. And then it is great seeing Sean Connery just be like, I'll just have a quick look around, don't mind me. He's like, no, just leave. <laughs> Starts to fiddle with things. And it's just... Yeah, he just picks stuff up like a kid. And the guy just says, like, can you please leave, you irritating man? <laughs> Which he doesn't then leave. <laughs> he just won't go away. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, see, I'm, I'm not, my, my opinion is not so crazy, Tom. It's not. Well, like, I I think there's stuff that works like, that I enjoy, but like, I mean, we are now in the part of the film where Mister Kid and Mister Witt are gone, basically. If you yeah. had noticed, like, we had a concentrated a lot, but they, I don't think they come back at all until no, they do come back. Sorry, there is another yeah, they scene come, with them. yeah, but, but you're right though, it's mainly gone now for them. Yeah, so now it's just Bond being cocky, city Bond, and I I can get behind that. Uh, but a very small detail here, which is very easy to miss, is that Bond just sees a tape and they zoom in on the tape and then he puts down the tape. doesn't really mean anything in this moment, but I think that's the main thing that's supposed to have happened here. That Bond sees that, oh, there's this laser that they're making and they brought the diamonds here and there's a tape. Yeah, so he which then, he leaves. Which the guy seems very protective of, like he snatches it back. So there's clearly something going on with this tape. Which is like marches, greatest marches, or something like that. But yeah, the point is just to think like, okay, keep an eye on that. Yeah, and this leaves with finally James Bond leaves after all the insisting and shouting, uh, and then very shortly after he leaves, the the man from before comes in and saying, "I'm so and so from Sector G, and I'm here to check the radiation shields." And yeah, it, it's meant to be a joke. And again, yeah. this, this scene is quite funny and it's nice to see that kind of play out the poor guy. As you kind of were getting at, this is a cliche, like yeah. a big cliche we've seen tons of times before. But, you know, it's an older film, so it's fine. You know, it's it's before the cliche was a proper cliche. But yeah, if you don't like this cliche from other films, this is this is just that to a T playing out. Yeah, it's pure farce. But it, if you're a fan of that, then you're going to like it. Um, I, I did like the next bit as well. So yeah, they realise that, hey, well, who's that first guy then? So sound the alarm. Um, and you think you'd get more of maybe Bond trying to escape or trying to do something. I suppose we do get him escaping later on, but it just immediately cuts to basically him being found straight away. I just found it mm. absurd. So it just, yeah, he's um, he ends up being behind some rocks as part of a, a moon landing set. I guess the implication is that they fake the moon landing or something. I don't really know what that is about, or they're just. I doing... think so, but you don't. You just don't get enough time to think about it or absorb it, right? Like, no. If this was a proper, this is a Spectre base basically, but it doesn't feel like that at all. But I think the implication is, oh yeah, Blofeld, by the way, fake the moon landing. Don't think about it. Don't worry about that. 
but you don't get enough of an impression of Spectre or anything to make that work. So it just comes across as really weird because Bond yeah. is just hiding behind a moon rock with a load of astronauts nearby. Yeah, I suppose it's it's similar to in the previous films where they'd say that, oh, uh, the, the, the train robbery recently happened or, oh, this painting was missing. And it's, oh, okay, that was actually Spectre. Or it's actually Blofeld. That was this. But as you say, it's just it's just weird because then you get the astronauts acting in slow motion later on but bond is there hiding behind the moon rock and then just immediately the guards go there he is behind the rock <laughs> that old man <laughs> there he is it's just, i recognize it. the hump oh that's i just the way that they say it's so quick and so clearly there he is behind the rock it's really made me laugh um and then we get i think probably the best chase scene of the entire franchise i think coming up after this wouldn't you agree? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something crazy here. Okay, go on then. Go out there, out of this world, as you will, like the moon, uh, and say I didn't enjoy this scene. You didn't enjoy it? No. Oh, that's so, a shame. T- yeah, to, to try and sum it up quite quick, basically Bond finds a moon buggy as part of this set and uses that as it as the getaway uh, from from this area. And uh, then we get this big chasing where Bond is just very slowly driving this moon buggy and a load of cars are chasing him, but they all just like crash for no reason. Mm, very clumsy. Like every time they all just crash themselves. And I did get the sense that this was supposed to be a comedic scene just due to the way it's edited, where it edits to, well, it cuts between this like Bond driving a moon buggy, like, like very low that sort of sound and then it goes from that to jump cut to like these cars just going (laughs) mental flipping for no reason and then cut back to like it's supposed to be comedic i just it it just didn't make me laugh i guess and i think thinking about this afterwards as i was i think if this was roger moore i probably would have been more into it oh interesting but I don't think Sean Connery... I just don't, don't think it works with him. I don't think having his head popping out of the moon buggy and stuff... <laughs> like, for all the other stuff that he's done in the other films, it's just not his style of Bond. And it just kind of means I don't really buy it and I can't just kind of enjoy it for the slock that it is because Sean Connery wasn't was never that until this film. But Roger Moore, it's it's a different type of Bond. It's a different style. So I think if this was Roger Moore, I probably would have enjoyed it. I just, I'm not in that frame of mind when it comes to Sean Connery doing one of these very like silly chase scene, because this is the first silly chase scene we get in the entire franchise. And I think they should have saved it for Roger Moore, where we do get some of these scenes. And I, I would say I do enjoy those ones a bit more with, with Roger Moore at the helm. Yeah. Yeah, as you said, this is that weird transitional period where it's it's going into this camp bond uh, tone that's going to last for a while, but it's still Sean. There's there's this crossover period, and I suppose yeah, with that, some things aren't going to work particularly well. I think for me, I don't mind it. I I, I quite enjoyed it. I think because of the reasons you said about the, just the cut in sound effects and just the the moon buggy's little wobbling arms, like <laughs> little grabby arms. I just found that on a very simple level just funny. But um, yeah, I think this film, probably because Sean is, I feel like this is just isn't the same Bond as we saw in Goldfinger and, and Thunderball. And I, I just, and I think because of that, I can separate this into that first 
era of Sean Connery. And then this is just, he's back for the paycheck and a bit of fun. And therefore I can let this work in my mind, but I can see how that would not work for others. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And we said it earlier, this is the first film of a new era. So I know you really enjoy that era. I don't really enjoy that era as much, although I, I might turn around on that. Uh, but this makes this whole film very awkward. It's just that awkward transitional one. And I think it's way more awkward and out of place than uh, on a Majesty's Secret Service, really. Um, but yeah, again, it's that middle film. And I think the more they kind of commit and figure out how to do this stuff more in the later films with Roger Moore, you know, they improve on it. They improve upon the stuff that was in this film. But with this film just kind of it's just so messy. Like it, I just don't think they knew what they wanted to get out of this film. They just had a general direction with Goldfinger as the template and they pushed it in this direction. And it just is super inconsistent. And for me, it means that I can't just enjoy it overall as a campy film because I don't think it really knew what it wanted to be. And that to me, like is what, why I think ultimately I can't get sucked into it because it just isn't, consistent you know there is a lot of campiness across the film so you could argue there is some consistency there it's just yeah i I just couldn't get into this yeah i suppose inconsistency from trying to get those goldfinger elements i do wonder i'd be interested to maybe there's something line or maybe with the writer of the script about why they took this this path of the the silly campy cheesiness when they but clearly we're trying to take elements from Goldfinger. Why did they not go all in with that Goldfinger thing and keep it relatively, compared to this, serious? I wonder why they chose to add in a moon buggy chase and stuff. Like, What was the reason? What was the push for that? I really don't know. I think, but when I was thinking about this before this episode, it's kind of like, I was quite mad. So I was like, Guy Hamilton didn't know what he had with Goldfinger because a lot of these elements are there and i think his vision of the for the franchise because there is also a lot of comedy in that film as well uh, but i think his vision for the franchise is very different but i think with goldfinger only being the third film in the franchise he was a lot more restrained by the fact that it was a sequel to from russia with love yeah where by the time we got to this one we had different directors different bonds and everything had changed i think it allowed him to just really go all in with this vision and he probably would have gone more all in with goldfinger if it was you know if if you had swapped the films like if they adapted diamonds are forever third and goldfinger seventh i think we would have got the same tone for both of them in terms of like diamonds are forever would have felt tone wise more in line with goldfinger and this one still would have been you know, Goldfinger would have been a very campy version of it anyway. Um, and I think it, I point my finger mostly at him because I did, you know, if Peter Hunt did return, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have got anything no. like this. No, I mean, he uh, he had a clear vision for what he was going to do next, I suppose. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it was um, kind of a Goldfinger was a happy accident in a way, to an extent. He didn't didn't really know what made it so good until he had like full control and then like, that was a bit of the downfall was having yeah maybe this is crossing the line but i think it might be a little george lucas syndrome little george lucas syndrome oh where he had restraints early on and those restraints actually meant that the elements that would have been bad were pulled in and it made it for a more balanced enjoyable film but then once he got given the 
free reign, that's when things started to get a bit crazy and wacky and harder to get into. Hmm. I mean, you you make a good argument because they would have said to him, "Listen, we need a good film after George Lazenby. Here's a bucket load of money. Go and make, go and do what you did before." And so he probably thought, "Great, I could do what I want." Yeah. I mean, we've gone a little bit off topic here, but like again, that's how I think this played out, and especially because Guy Hamilton then gets the keys for the next two films. I think I want to say. Um, which kind of continue on this type of tone. Like, he doesn't bring it back, I don't think. I mean, I guess we'll see next time, but uh, as far as I remember, he doesn't bring that tone back. This tone established in this film is carried on to the next two films, and it's only The Spy Who Loved Me, which has a completely different director, is where that stuff kind of gets pulled in a little bit. Um, So I think this is purely Guy Hamilton's vision for the franchise, and that was more comedy, more jokes, more silliness, more camp tone, and he's the one that kind of really injected it with these, this film and then the next two as well. Yeah, there you go. All right, so back to the film then. I suppose just imagine all that time we were we could have been talking about the buggy chase. So count yourself lucky. <laughs> What's there to talk about? Like right? Like it's <laughs> it's not that much there. Oh, it's, every shot could be analysed. Frame by frame. I mean, when the little tri- tricycle bikes come out and the little flags on. Oh man, great! Um, I look forward to the bonus episode of the podcast where Joe, <laughs> just me, <laughs> yeah, episode seven point five. <laughs> no, that will be about Mister Winter, Mister Kids. So it's fine. Uh, they Bond escapes eventually. Uh, that's all that really needs to be said. And meets up with Tiffany, who was there to to grab him, and they drive back to Vegas. But then we get immediately another chase scene straight after this kind of back to back sort of thing, because some of the uh, the security guards or security henchmen who were who were chasing him spot the car driving away, so they kind of tell um, the police in Vegas to keep an eye out for that car and arrest them when they see him. So when they do eventually drive into Vegas into the proper strip area, they get caught, and then there's another car chase, but this time with the the police who are just just as in incompetent and oh. and crashworthy but this oh, time they're just God. in a different setting however i will say like you the sides are for a good reason like the just really clumsy stuff going on just silly but i think this probably probably one of the reasons why i like this film more than i should do is i am just a big fan of like the vegas look and i think especially in this scene where you are right in the middle of it and right in the thick of the strip and you see all the shots racing around the casinos and all of the lights and the neon and the signs and the crowds and everything. I just really love the visuals of this. I, it's it's not a very interesting chase, car chase. I hope no, that's that's fair. It's a little bit in a car park where Bond does some tricks to to get them to crash into each other and everything. But for me, just the visuals alone kind of just so, uh, sell this to me, I would say. Well, yeah, I mean, and it is that classic Bond thing of let's really show off this location and really sell Bond as being in this location, well, causing havoc, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I just don't care about Vegas. Like, it's kind of how when you said before, trashy, <laughs> and I said go on, that is kind of my feeling. I just think Vegas looks so greasy and depressing. I just don't 
find anything kind of attractive about it. It's not somewhere I would ever go to. I've been to America a few times and I really enjoyed my time there, but there is sometimes this kind of lifeless dead elements to some of these places where like Vegas is just a load of concrete with a load of Christmas lights on it in the middle of a desert. And to me, that's just depressing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry, people who live in Vegas and people who love Vegas. You know, it's a very unique place. So I totally yeah. understand somebody being like, oh, I really want to go there and check it out and have this really unique, different experience. But for me, I don't see all the glitz and the glamour of Vegas and think, oh, that looks really cool. And it stands out to me. To me, I'm just like, that's just, this just looks grim. It's just not somewhere I would want to go. And it just all feels so artificial to me that I just don't like it. And that is probably a big part of why I don't like this film as well. Not something I really considered before rewatching it. Like you could take all the other elements, but ultimately with Bond films like this, like if you were watching on a Majesty Secret Service and say, I hate snow, <laughs> I hate mountains. <laughs> and it was like, well, okay, don't watch this maybe. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you would be like, this is awful. I hate this. Um, and I'm not quite like, I don't hate Vegas or something. I'm just not really interested in it. And a lot of the stuff is showing off Vegas. And that's great that they do that. I'm just not into Vegas and I'm not into seeing Bond in Vegas. So for me, all this stuff kind of falls flat because it's not something I'm interested in. And there you go. I suppose that is, you can you can talk about uh, parts of Bond films, going into details about Bond girls, gadgets, car chases, villains, henchmen. You can go into everything like that, but sometimes there is just, it comes down to a personal preference of things and you might like one style of something and, and not as much the other and then that's the thing that is going to be a deciding factor in whether you like the film and whether it's one that you would comfortably go back and rewatch. and there you go that's that's the example of it in action well i think the not not a one-to-one example of it but you know it's the fundable thing right too much water lots yeah. of water everywhere it's kind of the same thing if you're not into water it's just like, i just don't i'm not really into this and to me it's kind of a similar thing not one-to-one uh, but it's a similar thing with vegas i'm not really into these casinos and lights and stuff like that so it just doesn't do anything for me but again i think a lot of people do experience that with fundable where it's like there's just too much of this and i'm just not really that into seeing people in scuba gear for a quarter of a film yep like me <laughs> like you yeah like most people as, yeah. as far as i'm aware it's still your second favorite though so we'll have to we'll have to figure that one out that's true well let's see where we put this one and then that might answer it a little bit yeah so this eventually yeah like you say like something i don't i don't really like this scene that much either because again the as you say it shows up the setting but I'm not too fussed about it but this is also another one where all the cars chasing bond are dumb and I'm not that into these type of chases. I want there to be some sort of threat. And they did a good job in the other films of there being a threat. But for the sake of the comedy, these cops are just like no threat at all. Like we mm. see the sheriff on the phone being like, yeah, I'm sure Larry got him. Just to show Bond drive past. He's like, oh, goodness, get my hat. I've got to go after him. Like it's, it's another one where it's played for laughs and comedy, but it just didn't really make me laugh. And I just... I. A little bit of that is fine. It's just we have two of these back to back. Yeah, that's both strange. Of these scenes. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. Like the moon buggy was clearly a comedy scene. So then they take what could have been a really intense, cool chase, but they kind of remove some of the venom of it by making this kind of silly sheriff character talking about Larry. And it's not even J.W. Pepper. Yeah, it's the prelude like, to Pepper. Yeah, yeah, like... You need someone like that to really sell if you're going to do this sort of thing. You need someone as over the top as, as J.W. Pepper. Um, I mean, it does have this this scene that I, I suppose we should mention the kind of like 
the end stunt of the scene, which is often talked about because it it's wrong continuity wise, is that Bond is chased down a dead end of a of an alleyway and uses a sort of ramp on the side to go on two wheels and, and get through this really tight space uh, at the end of the alleyway. And I mean, it's it's a cool stunt. Um, not the coolest in the series, but, it, you know, someone actually did that. So that's kind of neat. Uh, but then everyone always talks about how the car goes in on one set of wheels and then comes out on the other. And so to counteract that in the editing, or I guess like at some point they realized during production that that's not going to work. So then they have this really strange insert shot to to try and sell it that they rotate somehow in the middle of this very thin alleyway it's one of those things where it's like it really people discuss it more than it needs to like yeah it's kind of stupid if you think about it but it's a tiny part of this this whole scene it's it's fine i really like the stunt though yeah Um, yeah I know you're saying there's better ones and you're right uh even in the next few films from what i remember there's some cooler stuff but yeah it's a practical effect or a practical stunt where someone just got a car up on two wheels and then drove it through a finale that's awesome i love that Um, and i think it's weird that they started caring about editing continuity now like why this film we literally had a film in you only live twice where the guy who's now playing blofeld in this film (laughs) said stirred not shaken and he's like yeah perfect it's like like why are we now caring about that stuff just let it be something that's a little bit off and a little bit doesn't make sense because i think the fact they try to fix it makes it even worse yeah and if they just left it if the wheels were different it's the barbara streisand effect in action there um but you're right though i i think in terms of like oh that's actually a real person doing that there's that's something that is like a staple of bond and you, you know, throughout the series, you get these cool stunts. It's like, wow, that actually happened. We've had it. Well, for me, it's not quite at the same level, but the, in the last film with the skiing and skiing on the one ski blade, I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then in a couple of films time, we get the really cool car stunt twisting in the air. So it's all this sort of stuff where it's like, I mean, well, they, they aren't really comparable. But for this one, it, it's 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 good. I mean, he, he does a little stunt. There's a little bit of an issue. They try and fix it. Still looks a bit weird. Um, I did also think it was a bit weird that so clearly they're filming this actually in Vegas and um, to some extent having the streets closed off and everything. But clearly they could not stop crowds because in all of this all of this chase scene, there's just crowds everywhere just watching, and it's like kind of takes you out a little bit. If you notice it, it takes you out. But it's so quick. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, I didn't notice it. I guess crowds in Vegas make sense. But like and crowds also like just so watching clearly. Stuff. Yeah. Like I feel like Vegas is meant to be one big show, right? So people kind of checking stuff out. Yeah, I, I I didn't notice it, but it kind of makes sense for Vegas anyway. Yeah. So then Bond and Tiffany has now gotten away. They've gotten out of there. So we cut to them in bed with the fish nearby. <laughs> yeah, fish tank bed. Fish tank bed. Yeah, I mean, I really like aquariums and fishes, but this is, this is all a little bit strange. A little bit Troy McClory, maybe. <laughs> yeah (laughs) oh no (laughs) this goes in a dark direction yes Uh, so they're now in bed talking and i don't know what she says but in my notes i wrote god she's bad like i think this is when we really get tiffany being that the dits the the dumb person and this is when it all kind of comes out and it's now all on the table 
because she's all about like i'm with the good guys now right like i nothing's going to happen to me and bond is saying about oh i've got a friend called felix who can fix anything and then bond's just like oh i how about getting her like 20 years to life i guess is what you'll get and she's like oh no james you're just just joking right and (laughs) yeah she's now full tiff she's gone full tiff oh never go full tiff you never want to go full tiff. Yeah, by this point, the character is just she's just there on the screen for me. I really lost all interest by this point. I well, yeah, to be honest, I think I lost interest quite early on with this character. But now it's just yeah, enough. So then this cuts to Felix entering the room. I think later on, because Bond's in his full gear. I want to say, mm. and Tiffany's just trying to be sexy on the bed. I think again, trying to like. Don't send me to prison, teehee. I don't know. (laughs) But I think Bond kind of... It all happens quite quick and it's not clear. And I think Bond is just trying to explain like, yeah, this Mr. White guy has this lab and that's where the diamonds are. So Mr. White's a bad time. But Felix is like, I'm going to need a little bit more before believing that he would be a diamond thief. I don't kind of... You need more evidence of this. Which then... Yeah, there's something along the lines of uh, Willard White. So the character of Willard White in this film is based off of uh, someone called Howard Hughes, um, who was a magnate and had loads of money and owned loads of casinos and hotels in Vegas and, and was actually also, he was a recluse in real life and he stayed in like the top penthouse of one of the hotels for years and years and no one saw him. And so that's where all these attributes of Willard White comes into play, basically just playing the same character. And it's weird because... I was reading that Howard Hughes actually helped out with the filming of this, like closing oh, wow. closing the streets and stuff and letting them use the casinos because he was a friend of Cubby Broccoli's. Um, so, yeah, they just based the character on him. And that also, a little bit of a tangent, but that's why it's the same person that Mr. Burns is meant to be. Yeah, when he has Bruce the <laughs> I said hop in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and the idea is, like, no one's seen Willard White in ages, so how can he be? part of this diamond smuggling and that's why bond is then going to go up and investigate and i think this this scene coming up um is actually quite good i don't know what you thought but this scene of bond uh going out the window and scaling up to the penthouse suite of this hotel it's very very simple you know it gets on top of this this, uh lift on the side of the building and and hangs on when it goes back down kind of shuffles over shimmies over uses a little um I don't know what those guns are called, but guns that like pierce into the rock and like for mountaineering and stuff. Grapple and, gun, is it? Yeah, like a grapple hook, grapple gun grapple thing. Grapple gun, yeah, that's the one. Shoots those in and, and uses that to kind of swing over and, and shimmy himself up on the rope. And I've got to say, like, it's so clear when you're watching. I mean, not, besides the fact it is a movie and not real, but I mean, it's so clear that he's not where he is and there's, it's just a, a stage and some matte paintings or, or whatever it is that they used. But despite that, even though you know that, and it looks so obvious on screen when they do the whole swinging over thing, I was just sort of like, Ooh, I think there's still like a little feeling like, Ooh, that's scary. Like he's actually swinging over a, <laughs> at the top of a casino hotel place. And it was just really basic stuff, but I think done quite well. Yeah, it's a really good concept, right? Just Bond kind of swinging and climbing the top of a really, like a really high hotel. Well, not a hotel, I guess. It's uh, it's, it's the White House, yeah. you know, I believe. 
but yeah, because we initially get a scene of him climbing on top of the lift and then he just stands on the lift and then we get a camera shot kind of zooming out to kind of show Bond cockily kind of just standing there waiting on the lift. Yeah, and that's real. Yeah, yeah, it's real. Like you can, yeah, you can tell it's real. So yeah, they don't really do too much to really sell the height. Like you don't get any shots of Bond kind of looking down or stuff. Like I feel like sometimes with these films, yeah, they would put in more effort with the height. But yeah, I think the slower pace of this where he is just trying to practically climb uh, helps it a lot. Mm. And this is where I said before how Bond or Sean Connery being a bit older, you kind of forget about it. And at this point is when I could fully say that was the case. Like, I'm not thinking, oh, Sean looks a bit old. It's like, no, it's Bond doing his thing, climbing up here and swinging across to try and get to the top. And I think it does kind of prove that, yeah, Sean Connery could still do a good job as Bond and sell it uh, with these type of scenes. It's just they needed to be smarter about them. Unlike the very opening scene where we just have a graying James Bond choking a woman. Uh, when we get scenes like this, it, it, he does set it as James Bond and he does still kind of prove that he's not completely kind of done and he can do these sort of scenes and it, and it works. Yeah, exactly the same as in Never Say Never Again. Completely sells it. Well, I don't remember <laughs> that film, Joe. <laughs> that may not be the truth. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I may have been lying. <laughs> uh, yeah, so after all that, uh, he gets to the, the top of the roof and climbs into this this hatch and he lands in this wooden chair which i believe is supposed to be mr white's chair and we see that there's all this sort of stuff surrounding bond now in this chair there's like well the first thing he sees is like toilet paper yeah it's his, uh, it's his commode of, yeah, yeah it's it's his seat but it's also a toilet and then he's got a phone and all these cameras into the casino and things like that and I think it should be mentioned because we forgot to mention it. Earlier in the film, we saw a shot of this room where Baxby was calling Mr. White. And we saw someone who looked a little bit like Blofeld. And I don't think it's confirmed to be Blofeld, but he's talking very Southern like Mr. White. Um, yes. But that, that actually happened ages ago. We just forgot to mention it because it happens very quickly. So we have seen this before a little bit. Uh, but while Bond is on the toilet, um, <laughs> we get Mr. White with this big, exaggerated Southern accent saying, "Ah, oh, get off the, the, the toilet and come, come on in, come sit down. And the doors open and Bond leaves and there's this massive big room and the chair swivels. Oh, there we are. There it is. And it's Blofeld. Finally, some good chair swiveling. So I guess this is where it came from, because we said before there was no swivel and you only live twice. This no, is the only a, swivel we've seen. It was an awkward lean. Yeah, awkward was, lean past lean. the man. Yeah, here it is. It's a good swivel as well. Oh yeah, confident swivel. Mm, you have to be. You have to be. But I mean, this this whole scene that comes up, I think, uh, we, we, you know, we've seen Blofeld at the very beginning of the film. The new Blofeld. But very, very quickly. Like we didn't really get a good taste of him. So now from this point on, you're actually getting proper Charles Gray's interpretation of Blofeld. And I yeah, as I said before, I I I really do like his Blofeld. It's very different and it is very camp and it's 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 not on the same level as the the mis, like mysterious figure stroking the cat in the first few films and it's definitely not like Donald Pleasance in in the sort of as you would have said, like kind of dweeby looking man that doesn't doesn't seem very imposing 
Um, I think this one is quite imposing in a, in a weird way, but also I could relate this one much more to the one I read in the book, which is that it's like this man that just always thinks he's the smartest person in the room and and constantly wanting to mock. And I, I think this is actually a very good a good way of showing that. Well, yeah, because it's it's most like the last one, but it's very different. Where I would say both the Blofeld in on a Majesty Secret Service and this one ooze confidence, but in the last film it was more of a quieter, confident, and being more casual and kind of relaxed. Where he was actually quite relaxed in these scenes, you know, smoking and crossing his legs and just kind of being very cool and but confident. But again, not very quite low energy. Suave, in some of yeah, it. yeah. But this one is very confident, but in the other way, where he's he stands up, he's big, he's like, ah, yes, like he's very, very sure of himself, but very like just a much bigger personality and presence. So yeah, I think it I think both interpretation match Blofeld very well. Uh, but this is the one where yeah, again, he's confident. Like he's very sure of himself and he's very like you know, it's that arrogance that we see with all these Bond villains, especially Blofeld, and it's that kind of turned up to a T. And yeah, again, I do like him. Uh, I do think it is a shame we're seeing Blofeld recast again. I don't think it's the wrong decision, but it's not quite as bad as Felix, but it is really disappointing to have Blofeld like this. But but this all goes back to what I said before, where you kind of have to try and enjoy this film and the last film as its own individual thing. And as its own individual interpretation of Blofeld is a ton of fun. But as someone connecting it to the rest, where it's now the third version, and he was in the other film as well, like, yeah, it's not. It's not great. And it did make me a little bit not as invested in this as I could have been. But still, it's a good version, and it is fun when he's on screen. Yeah. Yeah, there's no there's no t- more talk about Tracy or anything like that. That That's gone now. So um, we see Blofeld twivel around, and... I can't remember whether he explains about the phone stuff first, whether the the other Blofeld comes down, what order um, that is. I don't know. It's, I, don't I think know. the I think the double comes down first. Okay, yeah, and then suddenly another Blofeld comes down. So there were there were more Blofelds out, but which one is the real one? I don't know. Um, and it is also explained how Blofeld is doing this uh, and and impersonating as Willard White, and he's got some sort of um, little phone vocal gadget thing um which just changes his voice simple as that and lets him speak like that so that's how he's become head of this this whole organization and kidnapped the real willard white but yeah there's a second blowfield that comes down and um one thing i really liked i had to go back and rewatch this so at one point there's a scene where yeah so one of the blowfields is sitting at the chair on the desk and the other one walks down the stairs and walks kind of in front of the desk and onto the sofa and yeah there's one scene where you're seeing both of them, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's quite a, that's quite a good. Like, that's been really well done. If it's like a, a like a layering effect there and and combining two shots, I, I could not tell that that was that was like a really bad cutout of one one shot in front of the other. And then I paused mm. it and went back, and it's oh no, wait, the the Blofeld in the back was just a dummy. Oh really? <laughs> and you, if you look closer, like his mouth isn't moving or anything when he's supposed to be talking, and it's really stiff. But hey, I mean, it it fooled me the first time, so couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a good effect, but yeah, you don't as long as you don't, I guess, pause it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't quality. anything like that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
So yeah, and then we get this again. It's it's a little bit more comedic where it's the two Blofelds explaining stuff to Bond because it's not supposed to be a direct clone. It's supposed to be what we saw before where Blofeld was just creating copies of himself by getting volunteers and making them all change their voice using this voice technology, uh, voice changing tech, and also just have him look like them. And we get this banter. And to be honest, I didn't really like this too much. Like it was a little bit too far for me to have Sean Connery talk or James Bond talking to like, two Blofelds. Uh, mm. Like, I like... Overall, again, I like uh, Charles Gray and his his version of Blofeld. But having this be the way he's introduced back in the film, I, I kind of glad what happens to one of them in this scene because that would have just done my absolute head in <laughs> if the rest of the film was just... The, if they both escaped. <laughs> that would have been awful. Don't shoot him. I'm the real, or no, do shoot him. He's the real Blofeld. No, he's the real Blofeld. I'm seeing double here. Four <laughs> <Two>. Blofelds. <laughs> <laughs> See, we could write a better film easily. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. One of them does, sadly, um, not stick around for too long. Bond, oh so suavely, kicks a cat <laughs> into one of the Blofelds. And as a distraction, and then, and then shoots him with the, the same grappling gun that he was using to climb up, which is quite cool that he uses that. But um, yeah, very, very kind of over the top death and a jump back. Uh, and yeah, the cat runs off. And it turns out it was not the real Blofeld. Oh. And I think the, the way they worked that out is because I think he even says, like, oh, oh, oh Blofeld says, right idea. And Bond says, wrong pussy because the other puss, the other cat comes in and, and goes up to what what is the real blowfeld i guess that's how you'd know because the cat can tell the difference I yeah guess. they each had a cat but the first cat goes over to the one on the sofa which he kills but then the other cat has a diamond collar mm. so you know oh that's got to be the real one because the real one's going to get the diamonds yeah and then very oddly blowfeld's like okay i'm done with you goodbye and then yeah. he's like you can go thank you very much and then bond's <laughs> like I, I guess i'll just take this lift like yeah yeah go in it's all fine don't worry about it don't worry no there's nothing wrong with the lift yeah no traps who said oh. traps i didn't say trap no no i wouldn't do such a thing so bond is visibly like not okay with this but i guess he's but both was like well you're not gonna car- climb down again are you that's that's madness <laughs> just yeah. get in the lift so he's like all right and then he gets in the lift, he's looking for a trap, and then Gas just knocks him out, because <laughs> it was yep. a trap. <laughs> Surprise. Yep. I forgot what the uh, the trap was. I was like, maybe the floor's going to fall out or something like that. I think that's actually in the view to a kill, maybe that happens. But no, the good old Gas. Always rely on the Gas. Yeah, the Thunderball. Well, that kills them, I guess. But Yeah. But yeah, like I think Bond is waiting for the floor to go out, because he jumps to the side. Yeah. But no, he gets knocked out. And uh, Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid show up and take him away, which is, I guess, how you're supposed to know that they work for Blofeld. Yeah, even though they never talked to him, I guess this is the only connection you can really make between the two. Yeah, because they wouldn't be at the, you know, they wouldn't be here otherwise. Yeah. So they take, so as I was saying earlier, they they never kill in a, in a normal, boring manner. They like to do it in more interesting ways. So they take the knocked out Bond uh, and take him put them in the back of their car and one thing to point out is that whilst in the trunk of the car um mr wince perfume is there and it's like bond 
is thrown on top of it and it cracks. It's a little point that you have to make note of to make sense of later on. Um, and that he is driven to some sort of like site where they're laying down pipelines and stuff. And um, they just leave him in a big pipe and, and drive off. Uh, I guess I guess that's a interesting death. Not really. But um, yeah, Bond's there and eventually all the diggers and stuff come along and start placing all the um, all the bits of like, sections of pipe which Bond is in. They don't notice the bodies in there. They just plonk it straight in, get on with it. You know, they're on the clock. They've got to get this done. So we get Bond waking up in a big pipe system, which um, kind of reminded me of Doctor No, going all the way back. Yeah. Yeah. And also it looks a bit like the gun barrel, which I thought was quite interesting. It looks like he's in a big giant gun barrel. Well, I guess I'll say about Mr. Weir, Mr. Kid here, and where like, you know, something that the parodies of Bond always points out, putting Bond in these ridiculously, you know, these crazy situations where they don't confirm he's dead. They just put him in a not great situation and then bugger off. This is like a very intentional part of these characters. And we see it multiple times here. And then both times they put Bond in the situation. Of course, he just gets out. And I think, you know, most people would kind of think of, you know, Blofeld or Dr. No or Goldfinger with the laser table. Like they, you think of those classic villains as using that cliche of putting a Bond in a city situation that he can clearly escape from or give him a chance. But really, it's not those villains. It's it's these two uh, guys. But yeah. again, they kind of make it a very deliberate part of their characters throughout the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's lots of characters, really. Otherwise, Bond wouldn't still be around. I mean, that is a, that is, you have to have Bond in these situations. Otherwise, how would it continue? And uh, as far as they go, I mean, this one, uh, I, I'm only going to defend this one because of one particular line. Uh, <laughs> but Bond is in the pipe, shuffling along, trying to get out. And then all of a sudden, there's this weird sort of, I don't, I don't know what, robot thing that's like driving down. With with wires sparking and I don't know if it's meant to be doing something like I don't know sealing or checking the Joe you know what I'm overthinking it. It's just this little thing that's chasing Bond down. It looks dangerous. I have no idea what it is. I'm going no, to just I, say completely no. agree. It's just this thing on wheels that drives through the pipe that for some reason has loose wires that are just freaking out. Yeah, it's just zapping away and oh no, Bond's going to get zapped by it and it's getting closer and closer and closer. What's he going to do? He just jumps on it. And and like shorts it out using these wires. It's really not much of a threat at all. It turns out it's nothing. So um, kind of a bit of a waste of being in a pipe. I think it could have been maybe something more interesting there. I mean, we've had it before where there's like water and stuff. Could they not have done that again? Quite simple. But what I reason why I do like this scene still, despite the sort of wasted potential, is um when the workers whoever is laying the pipe notice that this little machine's gone bust they have to go and and get it out of the system so they cut to them opening one of the hatches and complaining about having to go down and get it and as they open the hatch to get uh, into the pipe bond walks out because he found he found the exit and you know very happily very nonchalantly just walks out of this pipe and and says and i wrote it down because i just love this line so much um i was just out walking my rat and i seem to have lost my way <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he spots a rat in the pipe. But it's just, it's more of that silly Sean. It's just the way he delivers that line. 
it's just great. It's just great. It's so absurd. I loved it. No, I agree. I really like that line as well. And I like Sean or James Bond just talking to a rat for a bit. Yeah. Like this is very much the cocky, confident James Bond of I'm in a terrible situation. But even though I'm in the situation, let's just have a casual chat with a rat while I'm here because I'll find my way out. And then he does. And as he is, he's just, again, very casual about it. It's very James Bond. And the line is not like it's not a pun or anything. It's just funny to hear someone say that coming out of a pipe and be very casual. Yeah, yeah, this is very much a a part of Bond I enjoy. It's almost like an anti-joke. It's just it's not funny, but it is at the same time. So thumbs up from me. Yeah, so he escapes... Uh, and then we cut to Bond with Q and Felix on the phone. So in the previous scene, we established that there's this voice box technology that Blofeld has created to pretend he's Mr. White. So Q is then, I guess, flown over to Vegas to develop the same technology. And using the same technology, uh, James Bond pretends to be of saxby yeah the guy the, who runs the casino and calls blofeld basically trying to get information to where mr white is because they believe that mr white is actually a recluse and is hidden but blofeld probably knows where he is and is keeping him safe or keeping him away as part of the scheme so they're trying to find out where that is and blofeld accidentally just mentions casually like about his at his summer house uh, but blofeld says ah we've got to move the plan forward so let's get rid of him um, and then they hang up on now felix and james bond no yes mr white is in the summer house felix says yep we know where that is and then they go go to move over and this kind of ends with them saying thank you q you're the best and he's like ah this was easy i made <laughs> one of these as a gift <laughs> for for a kid at christmas yeah, I think all those compliments earlier on has gone to his head. Yeah, he, he <laughs> thinks it's all that. You know. Come on now, Q, calm down. Yeah, so again, we we never get that traditional here's all your Galax, um, gadget stuff, but somewhat similar to the Money Penny stuff, I like that they're mixing it up a bit and still getting Q involved. So yeah, it's not that formula, but I can get involved with Q just kind of being flown out and showing up and introducing this stuff in. I would yeah. say I don't really like the voice box as a gadget, like at all i just think it's kind of dumb to hear these characters with different voices like this even if the lip syncing is surprisingly good um yeah, i thought I, that yeah like it does all fit which is weird because the actual dubbing can be just awful sometimes mm, funny that so i don't understand that but yeah i don't like this as a story mechanic and a gadget at all i think it's very dumb very odd maybe it's just because nowadays it just doesn't seem impressive at all it might just be that it's aged badly but yeah i wasn't into this like this is the last we really see it but i was like yeah that's really stupid all right fine it is stupid it is stupid but then it's in good company i suppose with this film so you're not here to argue that it's not stupid, this film. Exactly. I can't, I have, I have nothing to defend <laughs> against that. Uh, so we get on to the next scene where they're, they're heading to uh, Willard White's summer house. And, you know, the CIA is there, Felix is there, Bond's there. But Bond's like, you know, let, let me handle this um, and, and go it alone for the first part anyway. So 
which I thought was a bit of a strange choice. Oh, it probably does explain it, but it's just he's going in there alone is the point. And um, he enters into the room or into the house and there are two women here. And then this is the bit. So I remember you saying about these characters before and I thought you were referring to Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kidd. You kept saying Bambi and Thumper. Like, Who the hell yeah. are they? Here they are, Bambi and Thumper, two uh, gymnasts or acrobats. They're it's very... something like that. I thought it would be tied to the circus somehow. Yeah, I thought so too. It's never said. But yeah, they're basically the bodyguards here who are meant to be keeping uh, Willard in place. Although it, he later does mention them in sort of like a jokey way. So is he friends with them? Or Yeah, I think the whole point is that, yeah, like Blofeld hasn't come to this place at all. This is just where Mr. White just is and hides out. And he just has these two attractive women who also act as bodyguards. So like, yeah, I think they're nothing to do with Blofeld at all. Just all to do with Mr. White. So they're just re- he's just relying on Willard White not wanting to leave. At this point, yes. So I think they know where he is. They're keeping an eye. And that's why Blofeld is like, let's just go and kill him now. Um, but while he's leaving, like while he's there, I think they're just leaving him to it. Mm, okay. Yeah, I guess that link, yeah, like the whole recluse stuff, yeah. I do want to quickly say, though, before we talk about this terrible scene, um, as Bond enters the, the house, we do get a really great remix of the Bond theme. That more slower sort of sound which I don't think we've really heard that kind of version before, but it's something that I feel like it's quite iconic for the Bond franchise, this kind of more slowed down version um, or sections of it, maybe I should say. And it was really mm. awesome to hear. The yeah. soundtrack, I don't think is anything amazing, but it's definitely a step up from the last film. And this does feel a bit more John Barry than before. And we do get some really great kind of songs throughout this film despite the more kind of camp tone so it's a it's a big improvement on the music front overall although i can't remember any time that we hear like diamonds are forever as part of the score (sighs) i I do recall it being in there because i I remember it but it's not a lot and it is very subtle yeah i I, yeah i can't think it's not like goldfinger where it plays all the time no if it's in there you could easily miss it because i know i did yeah i i think i'm with you there that it's not it's not the best soundtrack that we've had so far, but better than the last one. And there are some good ones. I, I do like some of the, uh, some of the casino themes and it all sounds like very, it does just sound very seventies, obviously. And I, it's quite good. And also they reused, um, they reused the track from, from Rush of Love for a lot of yeah, the action yeah. scenes as well, which was an interesting choice. I mean, it's a good, it's a good theme. So why not? But kind of why they brought it out now is a bit odd. Yeah, it was closer to the fundable version, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. So then basically, yeah, Bambi and Thumper are the bodyguards. So we have these two women in their underwear flipping, fighting Bond. And I guess the whole gimmick with this is that they're attacking one by one. So they do these like flips and stuff like that and cartwheels. And then one says, like, go get him, Bambi! And then they go to attack. It's like, now it's your turn, Thumper. And I mean, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because it's stupid, but I've said that before. <laughs> and that's not, you've got, you've got armor against that. That just knocked that away. That's what I'm here for. Don't get me that. <laughs> but this is really stupid. Like, 
I this is another one where I feel like I don't get what they were going for. Is this supposed to be sexy because it's sexy women fighting Bond and Bond and sexy mm-hmm. women? Is this supposed to be something you laugh out because of how absurd of it? Or is it supposed to actually be like an intense fight scene between them? I, I just don't think it ever really knew and it jumped between them all and it just made this feel really awkward to me. I just, especially... Again, I don't want to point out again, I've said it a lot of times, Sean being older was just like not the time to do this. So I I didn't enjoy it. At this point, I was too worn down to get upset. But to (laughs) me, this was just like, just bad. Like, yep, another terrible scene. Cool. Nice. Uh, Thanks. I I love how it's like the film was worn you down. (laughs) Well, I'd already gone for food at this point. So I was a bit calmer because I had stopped about half, about 20 minutes ago. I stopped and then came back right uh, but yeah again this was just like this is just i just can't it feels it feels pointless trying to critique this scene because it's like by this point in the film you've already made up your mind like this is not going to be like oh well this is just ridiculous like, <laughs> like no one's ever gonna say this is not when someone throws their hands up you either have kind of enjoy where it's going with and probably i guess are into it or you don't like me and you're just like yeah, just another terrible scene. Cool. All right, moving on. Yeah, you would have left the cinema by now. <laughs> this wasn't oh, for definitely. you. I would have um, left, come back, booed, and then left again. <laughs> I would say, with your question about what sort of scene is this and what do I think of it, I would probably lean towards it trying to be sexy only because... Of Sean. Only because of sexy Sean, yeah. And the, In the pink tie. Um, no, it, because... Well, basically, because it wasn't the other two that you mentioned, so it wasn't it wasn't an intense scene. <laughs> Process um... of elimination. <laughs> what is this scene? Well, it's not a horror, um... yeah. but also because the thing I didn't really get when watching it, but now it's kind of as you say that is is that Bond doesn't really try to fight back. He's almost just sort of letting it happen. And I'm guessing, like you could argue, you could say, well, maybe yeah, like the se- the sexy women, he likes this. It's a bit of a bit of fun for him even though he's getting like properly kicked and smacked around and everything. Maybe that's that's what he likes. I don't know. But I, that's the only thing I would kind of take from that is because he, he just sort of like stands there and doesn't really make much of an effort to do anything against them, really. So it's just a sexy scene with Bambi and Thumper. Oh, yeah. Sexy Bambi. Oh, don't want to. Mm, Why? Yeah, don't... Why? Why those names? Yeah, good question. I mean, Wint- Winton Kid, maybe they're, from, maybe they're from the book. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, but eventually, eventually they Bond sorts them out uh, in the pool. Um, they start to like, they, tr- they try to drown him in the pool and he sort of flips it and holds them under. And that's eventually when Felix and the rest decide to show up. Took them long enough. But yeah, Bond's just there having a bit of a laugh by this point, like keeping him under and toying with him. And they eventually find out that Willard White is underneath in the little room underneath and get him out. And that's it. I don't get this, though. Like, sure, sexy scene, whatever. But this is such a bad way to end a fight. Like, this is just, I'm going to drown you. And then he just drowns them. And that's it. But I don't, I just don't buy it. (laughs) Just don't buy That he would be able to overpower both of them in that way. And it's quite horrible how long he holds them underwater. I'm just like, again, it's another one where it's like, just a little bit uncomfortable. Like, just let him breathe. Jesus. Like, 
he holds them there for ages. Mm, I mean, they did try and kill him. Um, you know, this this isn't like Bond strangling the woman five minutes into the film. I think they deserved it. I guess. I guess there is. Yeah, they did start it, I suppose. But even then, it's just like, I yeah, I just don't buy it. I don't buy Sean Connery being able to overpower them both in this way. You're just an ageist, Tom. <laughs> I am. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so what are they going to do? Fight me? They're too old. <laughs> hey, I like you. All right. Oh, we yeah. want to talk sexy scenes. Sexy Q with his sexy gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough of that. <laughs> no more sexy scenes. Uh, yeah, as you say, they they find Mr. White, who was in the toilet for some reason, and basically Felix and all these US agents are there and explain a little bit of what's going on. I don't think they fully go on. They go to talk, but then old man Baxby has shown up. So earlier, Blofeld was saying, let's move the plans forward, which basically meant Baxby, go get a gun and go and kill Mr. White. So he gets there late before uh, or after Felix and Bond does. So he shoots at them, but they just shoot him back. Yeah. And that's the end of Baxby. Yeah. Just get shot. You do, you do get a good line from um, Willard White, which kind of very quickly sets off. I mean, the whole toilet thing as well is, is the start of it, but that he's not the smartest of guys because then... Yeah, Baxby just gets shot and he's, he's, he's there next to Bond and he's like, tell him he's fired. And Bond, Bond just does the best like deadpan look over. It's really good. Yeah, it, it was nice. Uh, but then we cut to a casino where we see Q playing a slot machine. And I'm in two minds about this scene because it's Q and Tiffany where Tiffany is asking Q like, hey, Mr. Q, can you put a good word in for me? And Q just kind of starts rambling off about his gadgets and stuff until she leaves. And I like the idea of Q being out and about and using his gadgets. And I, d- I still find it funny, this idea that they've been dropping throughout these films of like, Q is just boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking about lint. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as he starts talking, everyone's just like, huh? Yeah, cool. <laughs> Checks out. I like that little thing that goes in there. But like... Yeah, this is more Tiffany just being quite irritating and awful. Just like, hey, Mr. Q, you can put in a good word for me, huh? I was like, like, please. Yeah, please (laughs) stop talking. I mean, Q sells the scene again with the sex, but uh, outside of that, (laughs) it's... I like that little bit. I like Q in Vegas cheating and stuff and having a little extra gadget, but yeah, could have done without Tiffany. I I did love Q's gadget, which is... Yeah, it shows it off and it's like a little ring that does an electromagnetic blah, 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 blah. But when it has a little shot of the ring close up and it's like, the ring has the three little slots on it to show what it's trying to get. And it's like three bars because it's getting the <laughs> bars on the slide. <laughs> just the detail in that is so absurd. I just love it. Oh, he's um, such a nerd. It's great. Yeah, he, he knew, the devil's in the detail with Q and he needs to get the tiny little reels on the tiny little ring so they match up with what he's trying to do good man so after q has uh, well not even after he's finished rambling because tiffany just walks off um she uh runs around the casino for a bit and i guess kind of based on the reaction of q and now worrying about what's going to happen to her um she's kind of in that mindset so she eventually goes out um trying to escape um and tries to get into taxis it doesn't really work they keep driving off eventually just gets pushed into this car that's outside waiting and inside is blofeld looking completely normal 
Yeah, just it's just Blofeld. To... So, what's up? It's me, Blofeld. How's it going? Yeah, and then that's it. They just they just go off to the, the next place, and nothing weird at all happens, right? Why is he in drag? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Tom. This is when they really like. If you hadn't, I guess Bambi and Fumper was enough, and I already said if you if you didn't know by this point, I guess they're just pushing it. They're really yeah. pushing their limit. They're pushing your limit, Joe. <laughs> they, Will they, they really make are. you break? Because <laughs> it's it never. Yeah. It's just this one shot of Blofeld in the car in drag with the cut with the cat. And then after this, never again, never brought up, never mentioned. He never does any other disguises. He's just in drag for this one scene. And it's never explained why. It looks absolutely ridiculous. And I don't get it. I think he looks very good in drag. <laughs> no, it, it is ridiculous. I, do, I did wonder at one point, like, is there a deleted scene which explains this a bit more? But I don't think there is. I think it's just they wanted a bit of a shock. Funny. Haha. Blowfield in drag. Drag's funny. Um... Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work apart from the sheer level of like, huh? And that, and that's it. Because then, as you say, you never it never gets mentioned again. You could start reading into it and be like, oh, maybe Blofeld likes cross dressing. That's an interesting. No, no, nope. it's just it's just there, and then it's not. So, in terms of ranking all the Bond girls, where does Blofeld and Drag <laughs> land? That is a. I was, I'm glad you finally asked that. The real uh, questions. We're getting well, to it. <laughs> I want, I really want to see you make a video now, like completely deadpan, ranking all the Bond girls, and then and then Blofeld's number one. Um, yeah. I've got I a video know. in the works. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. Blofeld is Blofeld and drag the best Bond girl. <laughs> I yeah I I think you kind of said it yourself. If you're not. If this bit annoys you by now, then how have you survived the rest of the film? Like, I just I took it at the face value of it being like, oh, that's that's funny, that or that's weird. Like, why is he in drag? But you you have to by this point. So there's no point in keep harping on about it, I suppose. But yeah, it's it's weird, it's bad, but that's just where we are now in this film. Yeah, I might just check out of this and just record. Like, I'll just say that's really weird and I hate it, but I don't care anymore. Just loop that. If oh. you describe the rest of the film and then just loop that in editing, that's okay. probably how the rest of this is going to go. All right, then. Well, I'll, I'll see you later then, Tom. All right, yeah. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Right. Um, okay, so I'm so glad Tom's gone because now I can really, really talk about this film. So you might be thinking we're near the end of the podcast, but I want to go back to Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. I have a lot more no, to no, say. No, 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 no. I'm not editing any more than oh. I need to. Oh, hi, Tom. I didn't know you were still here. Oh, I am still here, Mr. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Tom. Okay, right, then, let's move on. Let's, let's wrap this up because we we're nearing the end. Back in the White House, Bond is with Willard White and there's a little bit about uh, all the stuff that Blofeld took over and the operations and everything and um, they're kind of wondering where... Oh, wait, no, hang on. Has you the satellite launched yet? The satellite has bit. to launch... Yeah, I mean, I'll just quickly go over it. So basically, uh, Bond leads Mr. White to his that lab that was in the desert where the diamonds were and the laser was being worked on. White says, oh, yeah, laser refraction and, and things like that. And basically, 
demands like hey what's going on here what did you say because it turns out blofeld had called this place with the voice box and saying like we want this and this to happen and basically it, it turns out that blofeld pretending as mr white launched a satellite into space and while mr white is on the phone with the operators of this satellite they're saying hey we've lost control it's going everything's going crazy here we don't know what's happening and then we cut to space um where we see this laser is separating from the rocket and the satellite and there's nothing they can kind of do about it but the the laser opens up and we see a big diamond circle ring thing behind it and it turns out the whole big plan was to yeah blofeld now has control of a diamond power laser I don't think they really explain why it needed to be diamonds. It's just supposed to be like, yeah, diamonds to power a laser. Yeah, That's diamonds a cool are cool. Thing. Yeah. yeah, diamonds are forever, as they say. Uh, and yeah, it's going across North Dakota. And now we see them using the laser to attack places. So it destroys a missile inside a solo and it destroys a submarine. And I have to say, this is really cool. I really like this setup. I like how this feels like an escalation of other Blofeld schemes and the idea of him having this laser and just attacking places and actually going there and seeing it blow up. It's like, even though the literal last scene of Blofeld in has been him in drag, (laughs) (laughs) it still feels like a pretty cool Spectre kind of plan. Like, it took us like two hours to get here, but I'm like, yeah, this this is cool. I actually like this. I'm quite surprised by that because I would have thought you would have been talking about the visuals of this scene, which isn't. Well, I mean, it's like you got to take it when this time is made, but it's not the best. It's not the best way you get in the effects of the laser uh, hitting, um, yeah, like a building and then a sub and the sub just all turning red. <laughs> it is silly, but I guess it sells. It sells what's happening um, and like really bad superimposed explosions on top of things. It's fine. It, I guess, like you're saying, yeah, like it takes parts of previous um, Spectre plans. Like they've already done satellites and, and stuff in space, so it kind of makes sense as to how they'd be able to do that quite well. They've had experience in You Only Live Twice. I think as far as Spectre Blofeld plans go, though, this one is a little bit, I don't know. I, I didn't actually really know what the Blofeld wanted or the, what he was trying to do apart from to blow things up. Um we later learn that he's trying to sell nuclear supremacy by like, yeah, only get like, only leaving one country with, with nukes and stuff. But it just seemed like he just liked blowing things up. So he was. Yeah, I think that worked in its favor, though. It was like Blofeld is in charge of this really powerful weapon and it's just attacking. And I think that's quite intimidating in itself. Like, as you say, there is a plan that's revealed, but... I think that works. Like it feels like Spectre kind of going all out is kind of why sort of wanted with this film of a bigger Spectre plot where Blofeld's a little bit more unhinged and stuff. But you know, it's not the film we got, but we get hints of that here with the fact that he is just attacking random countries, like he attacks Chinese countries, like a, a load of Chinese missiles. Where we get a silly scene of a man just screaming, like ah, <laughs> zooming yeah. in. Uh, so yeah, as you say, it's a bit silly, but again, it it sells it well enough. And I thought, yeah, this is. This is kind of this kind of matches Blofeld in this film very well, while still being actually quite intimidating. I I would have liked similar to what we've had before, though, where you get the 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 shot of someone in London 
being like, oh, these are the terms and all oh, the we've got the X amount of time to do this. And it, it's just that that feels like it's missing from this bit of the film. And I think that links into what we we're saying earlier about how it doesn't really feel like a Spectre thing. It just feels like Blofeld on his own in this because you're not getting that wider uh, ripple effect of his plans for other countries. It's mentioned all this stuff, but I don't really think it's ever shown. No, that's true. Like, you only live twice, you got to see the US and Russian diplomats and things like that, right? Yeah, like, just, also, just a little bit of Thunderball as well did it. So yeah, you're right, that stuff just doesn't exist. It's just Bond and Mr. White, basically. Yeah. But this all wraps up with Bond and Mr. White basically in Mr. White's office, where Blofeld was before with the doubles, being like, we need to figure this out, what's going on? Bond then just like, oh, it's a tape. It's like, all right, I don't... I don't really know how he comes to that. I know obviously he saw the tape from before, but like, yeah, it's just one of those leaps in logic that he makes. So the finale makes sense, but it's yeah. like, yep, it's a tape. Uh, they need a tape to control this thing. So we got to get rid of the, or swap out the tapes. And then he looks on the map of all the different uh, property or not properties, I guess like endeavors and Mr. White's monopoly. And he lists them all. And Mr. White says, I don't have anything near California. So they say, well, obviously that's the one that Blofeld added. And then they decide, yep, let's go there. And they go to the oil rig, which is off the coast of uh, of California. Baja, California? <laughs> California? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good amount of detail for Blofeld to go in and actually update the map, put a little oil, oil rig off the side of California. Yeah, you painted know. it, I reckon. Really yeah. good the details. And like, it likes to keep things consistent. Um, he had a lot of time if... on his hands when he was up there. <laughs> Maybe his all of his doubles helped him. <laughs> all together. One did the modelling, one did the painting, yeah. one made cookies. Yeah. Oh, that's just a nice day with Blofeld. <laughs> Maybe he did that just to have friends. Oh, well, that's sad. See, now you feel bad. Well, not that bad, but... Yeah. Maybe one of them was in drag. Maybe that wasn't Blofeld. Maybe that was a clone. Another, Another one. Ooh. The drag clone that no one liked. <laughs> oh, poor drag clone. So then we cut to the oil rig where Blofeld is, got his base of operations. And as far, this is now the end of the film, like the end location, the villain's base. Oh, thank God. <laughs> We're nearly there, Tom. I, I got to say, I think it's it's different having an oil rig. I don't think it's the most interesting of, of bases that we, we get really, like especially compared to... Like you know the volcano base and stuff from um, you only live twice and and Piz Gloria from the previous film like they're really unique interesting looking places whereas this is just an oil rig uh, which eventually explodes but Blofeld is there with the scientist guy that we saw earlier and he starts to panic because of the kind of ultimatum that they've given out they're not getting any responses which is kind of funny actually like Blofeld's doing this and no one's replying <laughs> it's just oh I didn't. Th- like crap i didn't think that would happen like it's just funny that everyone's like, kind of ignoring him um but yeah so the the scientist is panicking because they don't actually want to start blowing things up then they have like little models of the the satellite going around and the targets and kind of looks a bit like dr no with loads of machinery everywhere and people looking busy and everything like that lots of henchmen all around and then we get bond turning up so Bond is turning up. I, I I don't know what if anything is said before this, but like there's no sort of 
there's no sort of uh, attempt to sneak in or or do anything like that. Like he literally, like literally walks up in a in a big inflatable ball uh, across the sea. He's like dropped out of a a plane, which is caught on the radar. Yeah, and so he comes up to the the little dock section of this rig, and just yeah says hello and just comes out. I, I don't. Obviously, his plan is to go and stop the satellite, but. Is it explained why he just literally walks up to Blofeld rather than Not try and do really. anything? Like, I took it as, as you say, no one has responded. So I think Blofeld makes a comment saying, oh, why did they send you? So I think they were expecting some sort of diplomat and say, if they arrived with a load of helicopters and Bond parachuted and stuff like that, then that's a, a, a an attack, right? And an aggressive move. But this one is such like a passive move that potentially could be a diplomat to negotiate these things, that they just kind of allow it. And just having Bond on that rig is is helpful for them. So it's like deliberately being very passive in order to make sure that they don't attack by not like sending a ton of people there. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is how all diplomats arrive at places in giant balls. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows about the spiky balls on the ocean. That's... Yeah. CIA yes. did it for years. <laughs> so yeah bond is is uh kind of arrested and taken to blofeld and this is where you get more of blofeld not really trying to stop bond it's, it's if we're in the the full-on gloating this is my this is my plan this is what i'm going to do giving bond actually quite a nice little tour of, of i think the he whole... says tour does he actually say let's go on a tour yeah yeah like come and have a look around help <laughs> and then yourself. they go on a tour it's like, oh lovely it is very nice of Lofeld. And this is where Bond notices um, the tape and where the tape would go, ready to do the old switcheroo. So Bond goes up to this big machinery bit that has the tape in it and kind of in a very childish way, like starts touching things and Blofeld's kind of keeping an eye on him and he pops out the tape that's meant to be the one controlling the satellite. And as it's on the floor and Blofeld says to pick it up, he does a little switcheroo with a fake tape that he has in his hand and puts the fake one in the machine and keeps the real one. There you go, day saved, end of the film. Supposedly until <laughs> until Tiffany gets involved. Um, but yeah, Blofeld sees this and says like, oh, you know, you're beginning to become tiresome now, Mr. Bond, and uh, sends him to the brig to be locked up, which, by the way, is a really bad brig when it has a big hole in the middle of it. But before he does that, just as he's being taken out, he... Oh, yeah, but we forgot to mention that Tiffany's on. <laughs> yeah, Tiff- when Bond arrives, Tiffany's just sunbathing. Yeah. Because she's just like, yeah, whatever, I'll just go with the winning team. Yeah. And it would have been nice to have more of that, Tiffany, I suppose. But, uh, um, well, maybe not. Maybe more Tiffany's not what we needed. But, yeah, I forgot to say, Tiffany is on the on the rig as well. Um, and it's here where Bond... This is the thing that, like, the whole switcheroo thing that goes on here confused me at first it shouldn't have really because it's not that confusing but bond gives her the real tape as in to get rid of it but she thinks it's the fake tape ready to switch back it's more like very farcical stuff kind of like the how bond got into the satellite uh, the yeah the satellite lab place with the, the whole fake persona thing it's very much like that you wouldn't you you get this in an episode of Frasier or something like this sort of level of confusion but yeah so he gives her the fake the real tape okay yeah so tiffany puts that tape back 
and then gives goes back to Bond and say like, don't worry, I switched the tapes. And then she's like, you're an idiot. But basically the reason why Bond gave Tiffany the tape in the first place is because he gets searched. So he gets searched coming onto it. And then Blofeld says, search him again, just to be sure. So that's why he gives Tiffany the tape to kind of get rid of. Right. Uh, but then, yeah, he's he's quite upset about that. But then we see that Bond is ta- being taken to the brig and goes to tie his shoe nonchalantly. And there's a red balloon there. I I don't know why. I don't think he brought it with him. I don't remember seeing it in the, the spiky ocean ball. But he sees a red balloon and just lets it go. The idea being that he's trying to signal to say, don't worry, I've switched the tapes, it's all good. And then very shortly after he sets the balloon off, which is saying we're all good, Tiffany then says, no, I've switched them again. Of which Bond's like, you stupid twit. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid twit. <laughs> yeah, but Felix and Mr. White sees the balloon and says, well, that's the signal, so let's go. So now the real tape is in the machine, but Felix and the Americans are coming with helicopters to... Uh, assault the oil base and take down Blofeld. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, all you really need to know is that the base, the, the, everything ends up getting attacked and exploded, uh, <laughs> which uh, is where we end up seeing um, the end of Blofeld. This whole last bit of Blofeld, it's I don't know whether to like it or hate it because it it is just more of the same Blofeld we've seen, but it is also really bad i don't know if it's so bad even beyond my limits for this film oh no um so yeah as you say the the cia and, and all that come and start to blow up the base and there's just like massive explosions and shooting everywhere and getting the good old trampoline trampoline shots of people uh from explosions and stuff like that and whilst that is happening blofeld <laughs> I even wrote down this line because I just think if there's one line to sum up this 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 Blofeld for me, it's everything's blowing up around him, so he needs to escape. He gets on the phone and just says in such a like a serious voice, prepare my bathosub immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> prepare my bathosub immediately. He needs it. Now's the time. I want a bathosub. I just love, I love the delivery of that line. I mean, I don't really love what comes next and what a bathosub actually is and how, how, how he, well, it doesn't die, I suppose, but how he goes. Um, but yeah, uh, he, Blofeld leaves and, and gets into what is like a, ba- a mini submarine, basically. Yeah, um, it's like just the front bit, really. It's tiny. Yeah, this teeny, tiny, funny size mic, um, submarine. And some, one of the henchmen is, is, on a crane lifting it up and about to drop it into the ocean. And yeah, chaos is going all around. People are like shooting everything. So this is where Bond sneaking out of the brig um, is back on top and spots this, goes over the controls and, and takes over and just starts messing, <laughs> just starts messing with Blofeld. So yeah, it's just about to be landed on the, on the ocean and picks him back up and swings him around. And you get all these great insert shots of, of, Blofeld just like fuming <laughs> so angry put me down you idiot <laughs> yeah yeah just just oh. that's why i like it's it is really silly but i think charles gray just about saves it um and 
eventually Bond just sort of swings this little sub into the side of the satellite controls, which I presumably stop the satellite because you don't really see much else happen. Maybe it was one of the explosions, but that seems to do the trick according to the film. It's just there's a whole like sequence here where it's a, a countdown again. It's another one of these where there's a countdown to Spectre or Blofeld is about to do something really bad if the countdown gets to zero. So we got to sort it out. And yeah, as you say, the solution is because the tape thing didn't work. He just uses Blofeld's own crane and sub to just smash into the controls. And presumably that saves the day because again, it's like one minute to go, but he just blows it up and that's that but i to start on a positive with this whole ending sequence i i do think it as you say the initial idea of bond having like blowfield trying to get away but blonde like taking over the crane and having him freaking out is pretty good mm. like in terms of humiliating blowfeld without there kind of being this physical fight we already had that in the last film so it's nice that they did something a bit different but this whole end bit is just so whatever. Like, it's so forgettable. The oil rig's an okay setting, but it's not great. And it's just explosions and shooting again. And we already did a helicopter assault in the last film. And yeah. I don't think it was anything to write home about, but it was a lot more exciting and interesting than this. Uh, we spend more time with Tiffany just doing antics than we do on anything interesting. And Bond does bugger all, because he's in the brig for most of it, trying to climb out and... Yeah, he does the Blofeld stuff, but it's not even really a part of it like he is in other finales. And it's just just all so forgettable. I mean, like I said, I'm quite worn down by this point, And I feel quite worn down at the moment. I'm kind of tired <laughs> talking about this film for so long. But yeah, I mean, this this bit was just so whatever. Like, it's the worst finale by far. But it doesn't make me angry. It's just like, yeah, that was just kind of rubbish. Like, the setting wasn't very interesting. The way it plays out isn't very interesting. It's all just the tropes we've already seen in a ton of Bond films before. Just forget it. I, like, whatever. Let's move on. Let's get to the end of this thing. All right, then. Let's get into the thing. So, yeah, day saved. Satellite's fine. No, no nuclear annihilation type stuff. And so we cut to Bond and Tiffany on a cruise ship. We're just about yeah. to go on a cruise ship. They're, they're no confirmation home. of what happened to Blofeld. No. Nothing. It's no. just they're on a cruise ship now. Great. I guess the idea with that is that they maybe wanted to keep the door open for Blofeld to come back. But could have been done a bit better, perhaps. But there's just no confirmation of anything. It just blows up and Bond jumps in the ocean and then hard cut to this on a cruise yeah lovely lovely nice cruise ship all these little streamers and everything they're heading back to to england and it's all nice like you expect this to now be the end typical end of a bond film bond and the bond girl at some nice place um having a kiss that's the usual end and so you kind of get that to an extent you know bond and and tiffany are in a little um uh balcony section outside on the ship and then <laughs> we haven't got rid of them quite yet uh, they're back sudden song kicks in oh that 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 iconic tune <laughs> mr wind and mr kid are back i don't know why they're back because i guess it's like who who are they who is their allegiance to now blofeld's meant to be gone but maybe that's like a sign that it's not i don't know but anyway they're back and they're, they're still here to kill 
girl Bond and Tiffany. And they do it, as I've said before, in their own special way where they're, they're dressed up as the waiters. They come in with a big tray of food and, and wine and everything. And they're like really selling it, all this lovely food and everything. Um, and it kind of then gets very quickly back onto just craziness with Mr. Kid in like off to the side preparing a bomb <laughs> in the cake which has oh, like yeah. a fa- has a you know the typical cake bomb yeah. um you know like a fake cake with it pops it on top there you go that's how they're going to kill him never mind the ticking or whatever it would sound like no it's fine it's la bomb la bomba surprise or whatever they call it so um yeah they're just about to do that and bond then it's something to do with wine Right, he like yeah. So he initially says, "Hmm, that's quite strong aftershave." And then, following on from that, he says, "It's a shame you don't have any of this type of wine." Of which he said, "Yeah, I'm very sorry, sir. We ran out." But Bond says, "Well, the wine you just poured me is that type of wine." Oh, got so him. Basically, expose them of not knowing about their wines. Yeah, and then that's how we knew the smell from when he was knocked out, and that's how we linked it to. Yeah, there you go. Right, so um, they attack Mister Winter, Mister Kid attack, and Mister Kid has like these flaming kebabs or whatever they are, and <laughs> is about yeah. to start stabbing, and Bond throws some alcohol on him to set him aflame, and he he kind of flails around and falls off the side of the ship. Uh, so that's Mister Kid gone with, and then Mister Wint <laughs> with him Bond. I think the cake gets knocked over and it's revealed. Yeah, Tiffany that... throws the cake at him and just misses. This is after she literally just goes, "Ee!" Yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me of like uh, Wallace and Gromit or something. Um, so yeah, the, bo- the bomb's revealed. So Bond ties the, the bomb through like the tails, through the Mr. Wint's legs in the tails of his, I don't know, yeah. He basically ties them up to the, bo- the bomb and throws them off the ship. And it explodes. The end. <laughs> Cue credits. Great job, everyone. Yeah. Wow. I will just quickly say, it's bizarre how Mr. Kid, you say here he gets set to light. It's really gruesome. Yeah. Like, it's surprisingly yeah. gruesome. You see him get set alight, but normally in these sort of films, you'd see him be like, ah, I'm on fire, then falls off. But they, like, cut back to him. And I don't know if they've actually put in some practical effects of his skin melting, but you see it develop. Like, this mm. looks like a dude who's burning to death. You're like, why is he getting such a grim, realistic death? Like, right <laughs> at the end here. It was horrible. And then Mr. Wind gets a really silly death of like, oh, not me knackers. And then flipped <laughs> off the boat. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit carry-on-esque at the end there with that. With the, ooh, <laughs> yeah. matron. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's uh, The film likes to keep you on your toes. You never know where you are. One minute it's silly, then it's horrific, then it's back to silly, then it's weird, then it's drag, and it's just, we never know what you're going to get. And that is done. I know what I got, Joe. I very know what I got. (laughs) Garbage. So I guess I'll start, uh, because you did it last week. Um, I think, I, I guess I'll say on a positive note that doing this podcast and talking about it did show that there was elements to this film i enjoyed i think it's a stronger soundtrack i think there are some decent action bits in here 
Uh, and and some of the comedy, the ones that kind of leans back to more sh- cheeky Sean and stuff, did really work for me. And I think that was good. And I think the Blofeld was solid, apart from some very questionable choices uh, in there. But even then, that was still pretty good. So again, trying to treat it as its own Bond film, uh, you know, I can compliment it for those things. And this did make me appreciate that, you know, with the car going to the side, I thought that was cool. And climbing up on the, on the White House, that was cool. Some good stuff in there, but... Man, I just was not into what this film was putting down. The Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kidstaff hated it. The Tiffany just hated it. And I just, the tone is so all over the place that, yes, they did mostly want to make a campy film, but it just feels like so many scenes and so many elements are just putting itself in other directions and stuff that's meant to be kind of funny and weird just, just isn't. And just, it's just awful across the board i just have such a terrible time watching this film and as i always said the story boring really boring story only starts to get interesting when blofo shows up which is right towards the end and i mean sean isn't as bad as i kind of remember i i don't think if he was younger that would really change anything for me I still think I would still very much dislike this film. It doesn't help, but again, I don't actually think it's that big of a deal, um, all things considered. But yeah, just the stupidity, I was just not in for the ride. And I still hate this film. And, well, let's let's just get out of the way. It's last, dead last, oh. easy. Um, put that at number seven, done. That's That's an easy one. And maybe something will make me more mad, but I just, you know... I can get into some more campy Bond, and I hope I do. I hope I do prove that to be true. But this, I just think, is just so tonally all over the place, so badly made, so the plot holes are terrible, the plot is just so badly put together and badly done. I just hate it. Just no. I never want to see this film again. (laughs) Damning, damning review there. Out of interest, what is your number six? What is this behind? Uh, You Only Live Twice. Oh, okay, yeah, that that adds up i suppose well that i I guess yeah i should say this is the first one i didn't enjoy because those first six i think are all good and i enjoyed every single one of those films even if i had some things i didn't really like and ranking them yeah i feel pretty confident with my rank but i would still say from russia with love down to you only live twice all good films all very enjoyable i like them all this is the first one where i was like i just didn't like it it's just bad um, so this will kind of help separate my list out a little bit so it's not like seven to six is a small gap no there's a huge gap there for me which is going to get filled up with some of the other not so great bond films uh which is a shame because again the other six ones really enjoyed okay okay well for me i think it's kind of been obvious through this podcast that i i do have a soft spot for this film despite all of its flaws I mean, just going through this now today, it's like, yeah, this there's a lot of bad stuff about this. Just like it's it's hard. Uh it's hard to defend in many places. But I guess that's kind of it. Like I'm not I'm not trying to defend it because I know it's bad. Uh all I can say is like a purely at an entertainment level, when I sat down and watched this film, I had a lot of fun because it is just so absurd and tongue in cheek and naff in places, like so bad it's good type naff. Uh, I think Connery was better in this than You Only Live Twice. I think he was just a lot more into it. Um, I think, as we mentioned, as I mentioned, I do have like something about Vegas. I just like seeing Vegas on film. 
well, in other places as well, but like film, I just think, and that's like 70s Vegas with the lights and everything. It just looked great. So that was some bonus points for me. And Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kid are very divisive characters. But for me, I like them. I think they are just creepy and weird and not like anything else we've seen before and probably won't see for a long time or ever, maybe, in the whole series. Oh, no. Oh, what a shame, I know. Oh. So I, I won't I won't harp on too many too long, but I I think for me, um I put this at number four on my list. Oh. So I just to quickly say that's Rush of Love, Thunderborn, Doctor Noah are above it. And below it, which is really gonna like annoy some people, but below it is you only live twice on a match secret service and goldfinger. <laughs> God, is, what are you doing last, to us? Which is still last. Goldfinger's still last. I yeah, mean, so right. I'm not surprised that you put this above Goldfinger. Like that doesn't surprise me. But man, that's that's brutal to put this above those three films. Yeah, I know. I'm. I, what, what can I say? I'm going against the grain here. So that, that's going to be very interesting, though, because obviously you are now proudly and confidently saying I like my campy Bond films. Yes. So I do hope you you stick to that. And if you say like, ah, the Roger Moore ones put them below, they know diamonds are forever. I think that's when the mobs are going to be coming at your door and, and burning down your house. Uh, I don't know. I actually do think some of the Roger Moore ones might go below diamonds, but we'll have to see. Well, some of the later ones maybe, but yeah, that's fair. But again, these next four, I guess I would kind of expect them all to go higher on your list. For me, they have to go higher. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's fine. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. So we did it. It's the longest episode we've done, which I'm really happy about. Uh, I can't wait to edit this. <laughs> I really am happy this is the longest one so far. I hope this is the longest one of the whole podcast. <laughs> and it's uh, Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So, yeah. So luckily we got through it. For me, from what I rank, this is my low point. So. I mean, it's going to be interesting because my low point came at number seven. Your low point comes at number 24. <laughs> so let's see how you feel when we get to Spectre. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. Uh, but yeah, so that was Diamonds Are Forever. The Sean Connery era is officially over. We are now done and we can now look to the to the east as the sun rises. Is it the east that the sun rises? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the east where we can see a, a nice shiny Roger Moore coming up just on the horizon there. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, brings <laughs> beautiful a tear to your eye. It really does. I've gone through hell so I can get to heaven, I hope. <laughs> I want that tattooed of Roger Moore's face. <laughs> that would be so good. Uh, but yeah, any last thoughts before we finally end this? Uh, Podcast no, forever. Please, yeah, please no hate mail. That's all I'll yeah, say. Maybe a little hate mail, maybe a little bit. Just no, just no cake bombs then, all right? Imagine if I get hate mail. That could happen. <laughs> Imagine if all the comments are like, Tom's an idiot. <laughs> this film's great. I'm like, no, <laughs> why? It's opposite day. No, I think, you're, so I think you're safe. I think you're safe. I need to be the one that's checking the windows. We'll all check our windows. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 7 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with Live and Let Die. <laughs>